Good morning. My name is Jesse. I'm the pastor here along with uh, Pastor Wade and Pastor Tom. Um, if you're new here or if uh, we haven't met, I'd love to meet you after the service. Um, so I broke my thumb. So there's not a good story. I just fell. And somehow all my weight was like uh, transferred onto the tip of my thumb. So anyway, this is not just a cool power move for me to have a, you know, iron fist. Um, so last week, Pastor Tom finished our summer series in First Thessalonians. And this morning, we're going to start on our fall series on First Peter. And we've entitled that Grace for Exiles. Grace for Exiles. And that begins to answer the question, why First Peter? Why First Peter? A couple of years ago, there was a book called The Benedict Option. And in this book, Rod Dreher, a, a, a Christian journalist, outlined a model for how he thought we as Christians should live in an increasingly secular uh, West. And then he looked at uh, St. Benedict, um, who went into the desert to form a monastic community, and this was going to preserve culture. And so he said, hey, Christians, we in the modern West need to look the St. Benedict as a, as a model, a model of how we are to engage in our world. The, uh, the little blurb for this book, it says, the goal to embrace exile from mainstream culture and construct a resilient counter culture. The goal to embrace exile. What he's doing is he's trading on a, this this feeling that that Christians are increasingly in exile in the modern West. Now I think what Rod is getting at is really beautiful. He wants to to create a resilient counterculture, but there's there's also a narrative that I think is somewhat problematic. It's easy for us to think that Christians are are increasingly in exile in the West. And we often associate that to who's in, who, what, what political party uh, is in power. Um, I know in the Bay Area, it feels very secular here. But there are other places of, of the, the U.S. where it's not so much. I grew up in the Bible Belt in Texas. But it, it really doesn't matter who is in power or what kind of forces we, we find ourselves in. Because the truth is, is that the Bible says that we are all in exile. To be a Christian, no matter what context you are in, you are in exile. That's true of 21st century Bay Area as it is for 1950s America. It's true of modern-day communist China. Those Christians, wherever the church finds itself, we are in exile. And so that's what we're going to do. We're going to trace out what does this mean for us to be an exile people, an exile people. So let's get to our text. You can look on in your bulletin, First Peter chapter 1. I'm going to use the NIV this morning. Usually I use the ESV, but sometimes the ESV is just a little uh, clunky and the NIV is a bit easier to understand. So we're going to use that this morning. So, First Peter Chapter 1, verse 1. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect, exiles, 
scattered throughout the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, through the sanctifying work of the Spirit, to be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with his blood. Grace and peace be yours in abundance. Would you pray with me? Oh, Father in heaven, we ask, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you have given it to us to, to reveal who you are. Would you use this, Lord, as a means of fellowship this morning? Would we hear you speaking to us? And we ask for your spirit to move in hearts, to change us, to transform us. Lord, may we taste your grace and peace even now. We pray this in Christ's holy name. Amen. Before jumping into our three points, the meat of our sermon, let me quickly set up the, the book of First Peter for you. We're starting a new series, and so you need to know some things about the book. It begins, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. It tells us who wrote this. Now, this is Peter, the most prominent disciple of Jesus. In any gospel, you see, Peter is foremost. He was a, a source for Mark's gospel. Uh, Peter was known in the Christian church. Oftentimes, in Paul's letters, Paul would be defending the fact that he was an apostle. Peter didn't have to do that, because everyone knew who Peter was. This is the Peter who witnessed Jesus be crucified and then resurrected. That is this Peter. He preaches the first Christian sermon on the day of Pentecost. And that he's writing to a church scattered. The geographical area, Pontius, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. That's a, a region as large, it's even larger than the state of California. And so there's quite a bit of demographic and cultural diversity within that region. Right? What's happening in San Diego is quite different than here in the Bay Area. And it'd be even more so if we we didn't have modern transportation. So he's writing to a general audience, which means that they're less he's less concerned about particular details of these church. He's trying to lay out some general guidelines that are relevant, that are applicable for every church. So it's a little bit easier to apply First Peter than other letters. Now today we are looking at the first two verses. Peter's greeting. Now, in Bible reading, it's tempting to kind of overlook these verses, right? That's kind of the boring part. Let's get to the, get to the heart. But greetings in the New Testament are full of theological meaning. They're dense. They're dense nutrients. And typically, in that greeting is, is, is a key, is, are the themes of the rest of the whole of the book. And so, Think of this sermon as we unpack this greeting. This is going to give us themes that are going to come up over and over again in our study. Now here's the crux, here's the thesis of my sermon, if you're a note taker. If you are in Christ, if you're in Christ, you are exiles chosen for blessing. You are exiles chosen for blessing. We'll look at exile first. What does it mean that we're chosen second? And then what does the blessing mean third? Okay? Exile, chosen, and blessing. So first, we are exiles. Look back at your text. Peter, 
an apostle of Jesus Christ to God's elect exiles scattered. Exile is a rather bad state of affairs. An exile is one who's forced to leave their country or their home. And our world is full of exiles, of refugees, perhaps more than ever. There are more exiles. Um, the United Nations Refugee Agency estimates there are 108 million refugees this last year. 108 million people who've been displaced. Now, for the Apostle Peter, exile was that time when God's people were expelled from the Promised Land. <laughs> A land flowing with milk and honey. The Assyrians and then the Babylonians conquered Israel and Judah, and they burned their homes down, the temple, and they took those who were living there beyond to different regions, different areas. So the exile has a very specific meaning for Peter. It was a devastating and disorienting experience. If you've ever read Lamentations, it's a cry of, of exile. Has God abandoned us? Cultural critic Edward Said, he was a, a early post-colonial scholar. He describes exile in this way. Listen to how he describes it. He says, it is the unhealable rift forced between a human being and a native place, between the self and its true home. Its essential sadness can never be surmounted. An unhealable rift between a human being and a native place, between the self and its true home. In other words, to be in exile is to fundamentally not to belong to where you are. It's not to belong, it's not to be home, it's to long for home. It's to be out of place. And you and I are likely not exiles, according to the United Nations, and yet we know what it is not to belong, don't we? You know what it is not to belong. To feel the dissonance, to feel other. I remember when I first moved away from home, I moved from Texas to Philadelphia, and I remember those first three weeks, I lived in an apartment by myself, and just the silence. I didn't know anyone in this place. The feeling that you don't belong, the longing for home. We know what this is like. We even feel it in our bodies. Do you ever feel like your body has betrayed you? Like you're in exile in your own skin? Once you turn 40, right? <laughs> what happened? What happens? Exile. We know, we know what this feels like. In fact, this, this experience of, lo- of, of exile is often a, an experience of loneliness. And did you know there are more people that are recording, that are reporting to be lonely than ever before? 50% of Americans report that they experience loneliness. 50%. A couple of years ago, Britain added a minister of loneliness to their cabinet. A minister of loneliness. What a delightful title. <laughs> minister of loneliness. And part of the reason for that is because they had found that 200,000 senior citizens, 200,000, had not had a conversation with a relative or a friend in over a month. This was before the pandemic. Before. Do you feel the exile that we live in? 
It's, a, it's puzzling, really, right? The technology has allowed us to be the most connected that we've ever been, and yet we are the most alienated and lonely than we've been ever. It's a deep irony. I was talking with a, there was a, a block party in our neighborhood. I was talking with a, a Berkeley PhD in math, and we were laughing that uh, her tech company had, had gotten them on uh, meditation apps, right? Meditation apps. Think, think about that. Your phone, right, is, we know there's plenty of data that your phone and social media actually increase your stress and anxiety and social isolation. And, and, and yet, there's also this meditation app that's supposed to relieve that very anxiety, right? That's the absurdity that we live in. A land, a world of exile. But what if alienation is something deeper? What if alienation is something that, that we struggled with way before cell phones or social media? You see, the Babylonian exile that happened to Israel in 586 BCE, it wasn't the first exile in the Bible. Think about this. Let me repaint the picture. So God had planted Israel in a, in a paradise. That's what Israel was. It was the promised land full of milk and honey, a, a garden. And God said, I'm going to dwell with you in the temple. His presence was there. And yet Israel said, you know what? We don't really want you. We're going to worship other things. We want to be our own gods. And so God said, okay, I'm going to cast you out. Does that sound familiar to you? Doesn't that sound like the Garden of Eden? Right? The Garden of Eden is the first exile that happens to man. You see, any sociological or psychological exile, alienation that we might posit, has first and foremost a theological cause. We've been alienated from God. The Apostle Paul writes to the Ephesians, he says, once you were, quote, strangers and aliens, alienated, alienated from the life of God. Now, exile might seem unjust to us, right? God, God kicks them out of their land. Can you imagine that? Being forced to leave your home. But you see, exile was God actually giving Israel what it wanted. They wanted to be like the other nations. They wanted to serve their idols. And thus the exile was in fact God saying, okay, have it your way. Have it your way. If you want to be like the other nations, go and live like them. If you want to worship their gods, go and worship their gods. These nations will fail to save you. And indeed, our our idols always do fail to save us, right? Our idols actually only end up causing us more feeling of exile, of alienation. Money, sex, education, work, family, the things that we desire and value so much, these very things can be the things that that cause us to, to be alienated. And the Bible explains that this rejection of God that happened in the garden, that happens every day for us, that that is at the root of our feelings of alienation, of why we are alienated from each other. There's a theological reason. You see, exiles are exiles for good reason. They come from war-torn countries where dictators oppress and roving militias murder, and everyone does what is right in their own eyes. There is no justice. 
This is the bad news of exile. It is that we all, every human, is an exile. Every human. You can't escape it. So, that leads to the question, now, why would Peter use this term, exile, if he wants to encourage his readers, his hearers? And that leads us to our second point, that we are chosen. So we are exiles, but we are also chosen. Look back at the text. It says, the gods elect exiles scattered. It says, you are exiled, but you are also elect. That means chosen. And this choosing begins with God the Father. In verse 2, it says, You've been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. Now that foreknowledge, and by that Greek word, it also connotes choosing. It's not just He knows the future, it's that He knew you before He chose you. And First Peter 1 is remarkably similar to what Paul says in Ephesians, that the Father chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world. Salvation from exile begins with the Father's choosing. And then the Spirit sanctifies. Look at the next phrase. Through the sanctifying work of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the one who does enact the Father's will. He sanctifies, which means to set apart. In the Old Testament, the the priests would take the instruments of the temple. They were just like the ones people would use in home, right? A a fork or a, uh, a, a censer. And yet they would sanctify them for use in the temple. And so what this is saying is the Spirit has set you apart, has sanctified you, has made you holy. And this in itself is also a, a choosing. The Father chooses and the Spirit chooses. And that choosing is nothing less than our salvation. You probably know the story of Oscar Schindler from Schindler's List. He was a German industrialist who ran factories in Nazi-occupied Poland during World War II. And Schindler employed Jews in his factory, which protected them from being put into the concentration camps. At one point, the, the Nazis moved to transfer his his selection of Jews into a new concentration camp. And so he quickly had his associates come up with a list. Here are the people, here are the people that we want, and we're going to build a new factory so we can build German tanks. It was a plot to try to save these people. And about 1,200 Jews were saved by Schindler saying, hey, come and work in my factory. He shielded them. You see, for Schindler to be chosen, these Jews that he chose was their salvation. And the same is true of us. The Father, the Spirit, those who they choose are saved. And then it gets into Christ's work. Look at verse 2 again. Who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, through the sanctifying work of the Spirit, to be obedient to Jesus Christ, and sprinkled with his blood. Now we're going to see in First Peter that this, this blood of Christ, the cross for Peter, is the crux of the Christian faith. For Peter, the cross means and symbolizes and signifies the point in which we are forgiven for our sins. He'll say in chapter 2, uh, 24, He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. 
The, the phrase here that, that Peter uses, sprinkled with his blood, that's meant to take us back to when Israel had just come out of, the, the, of Egypt from slavery. And the Lord meets with them. He makes a covenant with them. That's where the Ten Commandments come in. And in order to, to consummate the covenant, Moses sacrifices all these bulls, and then he sprinkles blood over the people. They are made righteous. And in this act of sprinkling with the blood, not only are they made righteous, but they're made the Lord's. They become God's people. In other words, what, what Peter is saying here, remember that alienation we feel, remember the exile that we feel. When the, when the blood of Christ is sprinkled over us, that that alienation ends because we are made into God's people. Made into God's it's, it's a consummation of our chosenness. And so the cross of Christ, it accomplishes two things for us as exiles. First, we're forgiven our rebellion as exiles. But it also ends our exile. It becomes the means and the mechanism by which exiles can come back to the Lord. Peter says, For you are straying like sheep, but you have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. 1 Peter 2, 24-25. Now look back at verse 2. Do you see the whole trinity here? You see the whole trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that each member of the Godhead is working towards your salvation. And then this is what Peter says later on in chapter 2. He says, You have become a chosen people a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. You see, in this, in this three, three Godhead act of salvation, we have become a people. We have become a possession. We have become a nation. We who once were exiles have now become a people. A people. But here is the flip side of that. If you've become the Lord's, you no longer belong to this world. That's what Peter means by exiles. He doesn't mean exiles in the first meaning of the word that we'd explored, how we're all exiles. What he says is once you are saved, you've become an exile from this world. That when you belong to the Lord, you no longer belong to this world. And friends, this is everywhere in the New Testament. It says... It says in Hebrews 11.13 that we are strangers and exiles on this earth. Paul writes to Philippians, but our citizenship is in heaven. My, my, uh, my father-in-law has dual citizenship in Taiwan and the U.S., but spiritually there is no dual citizenship. Spiritually there is none. You either belong to heaven or you don't. You don't. Our citizenship is in heaven. James, the Apostle James will say this, Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Now, I just I just want to briefly get into this. We, we've just touched exile. Peter is going to make this a huge theme throughout his letter. So we're going to come back to this over and over again. Um, in, in a little while, in verse 17 of chapter 1, Peter is going to say, Live out your time as foreigners... In reverent fear. Peter's going to unpack what does it mean 
that we live as exiles. What does that mean for our politics? What does that mean for our work in this world? What does that mean for our mission as the church? Those are the questions that Peter's going to come back to. But you need to know this exile is a huge, huge metaphor for Peter. And we're going to come back to it over and over again. So, if you're in Christ, you are exiles, chosen for what? How is this to our last point? We're chosen for blessing. For blessing. So, look at how he concludes this greeting. He says, grace and peace be yours in abundance. Blessing. That's what you're chosen for. You're chosen for blessing. And this goes all the way back to the very beginning of Israel's story. Before Abram even knew God, Abram, right, the the father of Israel, God shows up and he says to Abraham, he says, go out from your country. In other words, go and be in exile. And then he says this, he says, I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. Do you hear that? At the very beginning, God says, Abram, you're going to go be in exile, but I'm going to bless you. I'm going to bless you. And you in turn will be a blessing. Now Peter has already recited the blessings of salvation, right? To be known by the Father, to be sanctified by the Spirit, to be covered and cleansed by Jesus Christ. But then it's not enough for him. There's more blessing, and so he blesses him. He says, grace and peace be yours in abundance. A blessing. There's more. Let's pick apart the, the parts of this blessing. First, he says, grace. Grace. Charis. Unmerited favor. Undeserved kindness. You, kn- you know this, right? You know what grace is. A gift. Again, that choosing by God is already a demonstration of grace. And yet Peter says, Peter says, may grace be yours in abundance. Like we still need it. The grace, yes, it has saved us, but there is more that we need. You see, the Christian life begins in grace, is sustained in grace, and it ends in grace. You know the words of amazing grace, right? This grace that brought me safe thus far, and grace will lead me home. Peter is saying, you know what you need for this exile? You need grace. Grace from the Lord. Peter says, I want the favor of the Lord to grow on you. So that when he looks at you, his smile only grows day after day after day. May the grace of the Lord be with you. And peace. This is the, the Greek word, Irene. It's where we get our, our name, Irene. It means peace. And that has Old Testament roots in shalom. Right? The, uh, shalom. This meaning of wholeness. That the whole tapestry of society is, is weaved together and fit together so there's justice and righteousness. That is this, this, this peace, this shalom. And Peter is saying, hey, I want you to experience the Lord's peace. This is the opposite of alienation, right? It's being woven back in with your friends and your family, with God. Listen to one de- definition of 
Irenae. It says, quote, the tranquil state of a soul, the tranquil state of a soul, assured of its salvation through Christ, and so fearing nothing and content. Is that what you want this morning? Peace? What, what Peter is saying here, I want you to know this peace. God does not want you to be harried and anxious about everything, fearful. God wants you to be content and be scared of nothing. The blessings of grace and peace for exiles. Which is ironic, right? Because that's oftentimes the very thing that exiles lack. Exiles aren't exactly rich in grace and peace. What about grace? People don't tend to look with favor on refugees. Their new country resents their presence. Remember the Syrian refugee crisis with Europe kind of batting around? Who's going to take these people? Grace. There's no grace for refugees. Or peace. Peace. Exiles are usually fleeing conflict. They don't have much cause for peace. They've lost their home. They've lost bank accounts and resources and networks. They don't understand how this new culture works. And so what Peter is saying is you need grace and peace as exiles. And it's in abundance, right? He says grace and peace be yours in abundance. We tend to associate exile with scarcity. For many it is. When you are God's exile, there is abundance. You see, there's nothing scarce, nothing stingy about our God. Remember what Jesus said in John 10.10? He says, I have come that they may have life and have it in abundance. In abundance. Grace and peace be yours in abundance. A Christian missionary working in a refugee camp, he told the story of a man named Gehring, a Christian refugee from Darfur. His family was dirt poor, subsisting with barely enough food and water. And their shelter in this refugee camp was mud and sticks with a holy tarp. And yet Gehring invited this missionary in for dinner. Seeing this and being concerned that the missionary was taking these people's food, he was hesitant. And this is what Gehring said to him. He urged him, brother, you eat. Our God will provide what we need. Do you hear that? Because Gehring knew that our God is a God who blesses with grace and peace in abundance. In abundance. This is what it means to be in Christ. That we are chosen we are, we are exiles, yes, we are chosen for blessing. But it's not only a blessing to receive, it's a blessing to give. Remember what, what God said to Abraham? He says, I'm going to bless you so that you will be a blessing to others. So that you will be a blessing. And listen to God's instructions to the Israelites on the eve of their exile. They're about to go into Babylon. And this is what God says to them. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon, build houses and live in them, plant gardens and eat their produce, seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile, and pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you will find your welfare. 
In other words, what, what God is saying is, bless the people that you're around. Surrounding nation, be a blessing to them. So Peter blesses his, his readers, and yet this blessing is never meant to stop here. There's an imperative here to pass the blessing on. Think of this as like if we are jars of clay, the Lord loves to, to pour in His blessing. And yet His blessing is so abundant that it overflows into other people's lives. People at church, people in your neighborhood, people in your school. That is what we were meant for. We are exiles who are rich in blessing that we might bless others. Peter is going to be concerned throughout this letter that we have the right relationship to outsiders, that we are inviting them into this life, this blessing that God has given us. So I want to end today with two application points. Two application points. So we are exiles, chosen for blessing, chosen for blessing, not only to receive blessing, but to give it. Well, what might that mean for us? Here's your first application, very brief. I want you to sit in the truth that you do not belong here. I want you to sit in the truth that you do not belong here. You might have heard of uh, deconstructions, people giving up their Christian faith. It's much in the news in the blogosphere. It was a couple years ago. And each story of deconstruction is, is personal in particular. And yet I would posit that many of these deconstructions are caught up in a general worldliness. A general worldliness. Deconstructions and and leaving faith, doubting, it's nothing new. Jesus himself, in the parable of the seeds, he said, the seeds sowed among thorns would eventually be choked out by the cares of the world. Friends, it's so often that we as Christians are caught in a kind of Stockholm Syndrome. Right? We think that this world is our home. We think that this world is our home. And we begin to live as if it is. And we forget the grace and peace that is in the Lord. Friends, there is no grace or peace apart from Jesus. That's the first application point. Second, we need a robust theology of greeting. A greeting as a Christian is no longer a mere pleasantry. Rather, this is an opportunity. Every greeting that we have is an opportunity to extend the grace and peace of Jesus Christ. I don't just say this as a transplanted southerner who's experiencing the native rudeness of the, of the Bay Area. <laughs> I don't just say that. that was... There is an opportunity for us, every person that you see, especially those who you don't know, is an opportunity to give the peace and grace of Christ. Every New Testament letter begins with a greeting. Peace be with you. Grace be with you from the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord cares about how we greet one another. Right? Tom preached this last week in First Thessalonians. It says, greet one another with a holy kiss. And we don't have to do that, the holy kiss part. But we are to greet one another. It's a command. And not only that, but this, the Lord cares about whether we acknowledge someone or say hi to them. Isn't that powerful? Because the Lord is the one who welcomes us. He's welcomed us, and so we welcome others. Now, I know that some of us suffer from social anxiety, or we're extreme introverts. The growth in grace is to begin to move towards others, to not listen to the fear, 
and to get outside of yourself and have the boldness to welcome others in the love of Christ. And this is not just this doesn't just apply to those who we like or those who we know, those who are worthy of our favor. Remember, grace is unmerited favor. And so the grace that we receive from the Lord pushes us to show that same unmerited favor to others, even to those who sinned against us, to those who we do not like. This is what it means to bless others with the grace and peace of our Lord Jesus. And here's, here's the deal, friends. When we hear someone pass the peace to us, we hear someone say, the grace and peace of the Lord be with you. You know what happens? We actually are hearing the Lord Jesus bless us himself. We hear the Lord's voice on our brother's voice. We hear the Lord's voice in our sister's words. That's what it means to be a blessing. So friends, grace and peace be yours in abundance. Would you pray with me? Oh, Father in heaven, we thank you that you have worked, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit to save us as a people. Lord, would you strengthen us in our exile? Some of us are weak. Some of us are tempted by this world. Would you save us, strengthen our knees for the journey? Would you remind us that we belong to you first and foremost? Oh, Lord, and we pray that IGC would be a place where your blessing reigns, not only for the people that are here, but especially for the people that are not. Lord, would your blessing be upon us, oh, Lord, your grace and your peace. Would you transform our hearts to be gracious and peaceful? We pray this in the Lord's name. Amen.